We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. As usual, stay tuned to the end of the interview, where I'll give you some actionable insights that I learned from my guest. These insights are also in the show notes, and all of the show notes are over at theentrepreneurethos.com, as always. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the ratings and reviews, the retweets, the shares, the emails. Well, just thanks for everything. Now, on to my guest for today, Janet Luongo, an artist, educator, speaker, and author of a book on creativity, and most recently a memoir, Rebellion, 1967. Janet grew up with a love for art as well as writing. Her mother was an artist. Her father, a New York City police officer, instilled in her a sense of justice cultivated in response to the prejudice he grew up with and saw around him. These three interests, art, writing, and racial justice, form the backbone of Janet's creative journey. Janet first found success as an artist after moving to Europe with her husband. At the same time, she started her memoir about a seminal year of her life as a young art student, a memoir she would return to again and again. Most of her career has been devoted to teaching and working in museums, but she eventually decided to try speaking and wrote a book on creativity. She then focused on writing, publishing, and promoting her memoir. While her journey is not one of a typical entrepreneur, there is much that entrepreneurs can learn from her story about how to create a life from following your passion. Now, let's get better together. Janet. Lou Ongo, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. We met through our mutual publisher, friend, mentor, coach, Brooke Warner, who I cannot say enough great things about. I love her. I love what she's doing at She Writes Press. I love her podcasts. I met her through my good friend, Grant Faulkner. It's just love for authors. I'm a, I love them. I love them. And you're an author. You're yes. an author, speaker, an activist. You've done all sorts of great stuff. We um, connected through a webinar I did about how to promote to media as an author. You've written a book about uh, daily affirmations on creativity. I think it's 365 daily affirmations about creativity, which we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about what it's like to be an authorpreneur, which I always like to say, you know, because... Authors need to know a lot about entrepreneurship and also entrepreneurs need to learn from authors, which I love the cross pollination of all this great stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we get all into all that, as I always like to say, tell us how you got to do what you're doing today. Okay. Well, actually this is January 6th. It is. And that date, unfortunately will be a day of infamy in our country. So uh, it's interesting. We're having it on this day. Because um, tonight um, we're having a vigil I, that I've planned. I, I had I had the idea for it, uh, the vision, and um, then it I got someone to host it, my church, and then it just 
it just uh, snowballed and grew and and we got more and more people working on it, organizations who are activists for democracy. We got our whole Connecticut congressional uh, delegation to speak, <laughs> which is wow. Great. Wow. And then uh, we have over 500 people registered. Wow. Almost 600. So it's really astounding. And tonight's night we'll have that. So that's what I've been working on for a month. And uh, to me, that really is creating something because it was nothing until you have the idea and then you start acting on it and you have a dream and a vision and you have partners and and then then you have success. So to me, that was like a nice arc. Uh, we can talk about later about the process of how, you know, you, you, you set up your entrepreneurship. But I have very broad thinking about uh, creativity and uh, entrepreneurship. So yeah. Wow. And then you've written all sorts of books. You've had a very uh, illustrious career, I guess, as an author, I can only aspire to. <laughs> um, and so tell me a little bit about the kind of your time when you, you you were a speaker for a while. And I know being a speaker, you know, teacher, artist, activist, like there's, it doesn't seem very entrepreneurial at first blush. Like authors are always like, well, I just do my art and I see what happens. Right. But as you just mentioned with this thing you're doing tonight, the, this visual you're doing tonight, you know, creating something from nothing mm-hmm. requires not only creativity, but also organization and promoting that thing in the world. Cause no one knows about it. So Exactly. T- tell tell me a little bit about that because it's, it's a fascinating journey. I mean, you've, you've lived a full <laughs> life, it seems. Well, it, in a way, I'm I'm what you call the jack of all trades, which I think that was usually put down when I <laughs> learned about that word, that phrase. Mm-hmm. Um, a master, you know, would be better than being a jack of all trades. But right. I guess I'm just so interested in many things, and I find that actually quite common in creative people that they're not um, so linear or so uh, single um, focused um, because you used the word before when we were chatting about the cross pollinization between authors and entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs and authors. And uh, I, my faith is one where we believe in the total interrelationship of everything. Uh, we're part of a um, interdependent web of existence. So to me, all things are related somehow and one thing leads to another. And I think most people have gifts that they never explore because they're told they should just follow one thing. And maybe that's the profitable way. I luckily never had to really worry about money. I was not ever rich. Uh, We were middle class or my father was a policeman, actually. My mother didn't work. So we were never rich. Uh, But I just never really, I like money. I like having things, clothes and objects and trips. Uh, But it just never was a main goal. It, It would come along with things. And I think that's, that's important. I think if you're onto something really good, you will attract uh, investors, partners, and and hopefully people who will pay you for your product or your experience. Yeah, very interesting thought on that. I, it's, that's actually a really, it's, that's a astute point because a lot of times, young entrepreneurs especially, right? They get into the game like, ah, I'm going to be rich, going to be a billionaire. Uh, I want to be the next Bezos or musk or whatever you know and soon very quickly they realize that you don't really get rich being an entrepreneur it's a very rare thing you really do it to build an independent life that completes you so yeah. that you can do what you want to do in the world oh i love um, that yeah i actually stole that from uh, <laughs> someone when i when i wrote the book the entrepreneur ethos which is what this podcast is based on um this guy jason cohen who I met a long back, I mean, back, back in the day, back in the early days of the internet, he's now the CTO of WP Engine, a big, massive hosting thing. And I interviewed him for the book and he's just like, well, yeah. I go, well, what, what do you think an entrepreneur is? He's like, well, you want to build an independent life to complete you. And I'm like, I'm stealing that all day, all night. Just like crazy, great artist. <laughs> so thanks, Jason. Yeah. Um, but it, it's interesting because that why the, you know, doing it for the right reasons, the yeah. sort of um, creative spark. I, I mean, the, the words sometimes escape me because it's, it, it can be a very personal thing. And for you, what, what was it that kind of led you down the creative 
creative path? Was it something, you know, you mentioned your dad was a, a policeman, your mom was a stay-at-home mom. I mean, what what was it? What was the spark? Well, my mom <clears throat> stayed at home, but she was an artist too. She loved to draw. Her her father was a um, well-paid colorist for the uh, Tribune, Herald Tribune. Hmm. <clears throat> and um, she she loved art and museums, so I was always exposed to that. And I, I was good at art from early ages. I loved doing it. And uh, it always gave me peace. Mm. And it was just learning to express yourself. But I had a, I had a dual love. Again, I'm never one, <laughs> one pointed. Uh, I love writing. So I was always journaling and doing art. And uh, so I followed the art path. I, I, it just gave me a lot of um, joy to make art and Again, we, that was not for money because it's so rare. I mean, I hate that phrase, the starving artist. It shouldn't be that way. But right. you, know, you never go into the arts be, uh, to make a lot of money, usually. shouldn't say never. But uh, I <clears throat> I went in because I loved it, and I, I have made a living. I had a living for um, 30, 40 years. Some, some was part-time work. I was mostly through teaching. But mm-hmm. I also painted. I went to art school, and then I worked for a mural painter, I painted, um, I had exhibits, we lived in Europe, and um, my husband and I moved to Europe soon after we were married, and then um, there, I had always had a dream from childhood, because my mother loved uh, the Impressionists, so I had saw these pictures of Paris, and oh, one day I'll have paintings in, in exhibits in Paris, that was sort of a dream that was planted. And then when we moved to Geneva, Switzerland, I said, wait, Paris is only five hours by train from here. So I started to paint. I was lucky again there. I I couldn't work at first in a foreign country. So I had time off. I love having time off to do things, uh, creative things. So I painted and I applied to galleries and got into, you know, bigger and bigger ones. And as a matter of fact, in Geneva, in a very established gallery, uh, I got a one-person show. So it was really great quite good and then I did get my show in Paris eventually hey. and so you know you complete something and that's part of that's one of my basic tenets is that you have to picture what you want you have to know what you want and really picture it mm. and then if I hadn't had the dream you know that Paris is five mile, uh, hours away wouldn't so what but I had the dream oh Paris that means art that means mm. exactly. <laughs> yeah Interesting. so that got me into the art world and then teaching and then I worked all kinds of schools. I worked, I taught in college, art history. I taught little ones in kindergarten. Um, I, I teach now adults. Um, some of them are retired. And I worked uh, for 20 years in museums. And I love that work. Um, so Jari, the idea, you, you talk about the independent life. That I, I was always my best when I didn't have a boss breathing down. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, you're an entrepreneur by heart. Like we're unemployable. <laughs> But I am not a great employee. I like to do my own thing. So if they yeah. would just say, okay, do that project and I could run with it, then I, I enjoyed it. And that, that's what I really care about. So that, that's why I love the quote. It's like, I feel good doing this. And also it's a worthwhile thing. Um, it has to be for me, a worthwhile thing, either for me or yeah. you know, some common good. And then, then you know, I can spend hours doing it and, and I'm fine. So yeah. that's how I got into the art field. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's just one of those things. I love the comment on visualize what you want to do yeah. and then actually go do it. And that seems a bit like woo woo at times, but I think that's a hundred percent right. I mean, I also like how you just sort of incrementally got to where you wanted to go. I mean, you, you know, you're in Switzerland. I don't know if Switzerland or Geneva is a big art town, but you know, like, I'm going to try. I mean, yeah. hey, I get a little success and then I build on the success and then I'm getting to where I really want to go, which is Paris and right. et cetera. And I think entrepreneurs, that's the thing I think a lot of them understand a lot more than a lot of creative people. Um, you know, we're, we're all about doing, you know, I always say that we're the creatives of the business world because we literally create something from nothing. And then the thing that's different between us and creatives mostly is that we then understand we have to promote it and try to sell it. So for us, you know, sales is not a dirty word. It's Mm -hmm. just like part of the game. Um, Whereas a lot of authors, uh, authors, sorry, authors and creatives, that part, the other half of the journey, boy, that really 
bends them out of shape. And at least all the ones I talk to, that's like, even for me, that's the worst part of being a writer is like, oh, I got to promote this thing now. <laughs> and this is what I do for a living. <laughs> so for me, it's like, oh, really? Oh, man, can someone else do this for me? You know? So what, what sort of, um, so along the way, you know, all the art and, and the books, um, what, what, what made you kind of want to put some of your thoughts down, especially in this, these, this daily affirmations on creativity? I mean, what was it? Was it part of the teaching? You're just your journey. Cause like a lot of times those, you know, little nudges to get you going or like, you know, get some inspiration are really helpful. Um, and I wish more, more like practicing artists and more entrepreneurs actually did it because it's always nice to feel like you're not alone, you know? Yeah. Well, again, going back to the Geneva period, we were there eight years and uh, our son was born after four. So the first four years I was fairly free. I was teaching part-time art, but I, uh, but painting a lot. And that's when I started to write my memoir um, because seven years before or several years before that I had had a terrible, terrible year, but that's what you want to write about. I mean, you know, yeah. who cares about it? you had a really funny year. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, I get but it. For you, you know, but a hard year is something people, it, it's unique. And it was on my heart, wait on my heart to, to figure it out. So I used that time to write the story down. And so that was my first draft of the book that then I put aside when my son was born. And I, you know, I went back to it periodically, but not really until 10 years ago, seriously. So, but I did have the draft now. So meanwhile, I have this, this memoir under my bed, you know, for all these decades, but, uh, and then I was teaching, uh, we came back to the States and I was teaching and working in museums. And then, um, and then, then I decided to leave the museum uh, world or, or leave that particular job. And I decided to become a speaker because I had heard that, you know, teachers make so much money, usually not so much but the trainers make a little more and speakers make even more than that. So I said, you know, why not? So if you can teach, you can speak. I thought um, they're a little different, but uh, same idea. So you have to be in front of people. So I, I, I joined the national speakers association and then immediately they saw I had administrative skills. So they got me to work organizing speaker universities, you know, conferences. And um, I had a uh, one of my colleagues there, she uh, asked me to write this book uh, oh. on affirmations. So I was invited to write it. And because, you know, I was an artist and also writing. So uh, she asked me to write it. And then, uh, again, this is the dreaming part. So part of the National Speakers Association, uh, some of the big time colleagues there, like uh, Jack Canfield, for instance, who's the co-author of Chicken Soup for the Soul, right? Yep, yep. So, um intentions again on the plane going to one of the conferences I said in my head so what do I want to get out of this conference uh, I said I want to meet Jack Canfield wow <laughs> ask him to give me a, a blurb you know uh, for my book and because they 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 would do that for each other colleagues he didn't really know me but um it was a big uh, big but I pictured it so there I am at the conference lined up at something I turn around and there is standing Jack Canfield, just, you know, all by himself, not doing anything. So I just, uh, I said, this is the moment. <laughs> so I just, uh, uh, Jack, would you uh, give me a blurb for my book? <laughs> you know, I blurted it out. <laughs> and he, he's a real mensch. He's a really good guy. So he just said, oh, well, I don't really do that anymore. So I said, oh, okay. He said, but, but send me your manuscript and I'll see. Oh, so he wound cool. up uh, writing the forward. Wow. Well, so, there you go. You know, how how cool is bold, that? Yes, the boldness of a vision. And then when yeah. it you know, shows up, you just have to do it. You know, you Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That is so cool. <laughs> wow. That's like when I met, I met Stephen Pressfield at a uh, writer's conference called The wow. Story Grid. First one, it was in back in 2017 in New York. I mean, and this guy... I mean, he's one of my writing idols. I've read everything he's ever written. And the entrepreneur ethos, I literally stole the idea from his book, The Warrior Ethos, like full stop, right? Uh -huh. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, here he is, right? What, what do I say? Right, I have, right, I have, right. You know, I have a picture. I have a picture of him with us, right? 
And I literally told him, I said, he's like, well, what are you working on? I said, I'm working on this book called The Entrepreneur Ethos. And I I stole the idea from you because you wrote The Warrior's Ethos. He's like, wow, well, once you publish it, let me know and I'll steal it back. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, that's good. And I'm all, okay. I mean, that was it. But the, this is the and that was the other that was the also the time I met uh, Seth Godin, which is another oh, one of yeah. my one of my writing um, mm-hmm. people I look up to just just for the I just love their style like I'm a I'm, I'm a collector of writing styles I guess I just love that like Hunter S Thompson you know Anthony Bourdain you know like even you know Joan Gideon Joan Didion and all that like I love that like what, how do people say things to me is just so fascinating and they write great stuff. And anyway, but yeah, it's, it's sort of like the boldness of action. Yeah. And and that's what, you know, the Goethe quote, uh, he, he wrote, and I can send it to you, but uh, something like, you know, if you have an idea, do it. There's, there's um, boldness has power in it. And his idea is that then it attracts powerful forces. So once you act boldly, um, then it attracts more support uh, yeah. in the world, in the universe. So that's that's pretty powerful idea. Yeah. Well, it's the same for entrepreneurship. I yeah. mean, oh, yeah. how many people do I know? They're like, yeah, I would love to start a company. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, start. Like, there's nothing stopping you, especially nowadays, depending if you're like, you know, doing a tech company or whatever. I mean, it's literally technology is democratized. There's no code. There's all these things. You can really get something built pretty cheap, honestly, Mm -hmm. especially if you know the right people. Mm -hmm. But there's a fear that this thing, you know, you'll get judged just like writing a book. That's why I think authors and entrepreneurs are so similar in some ways, because the judgment of creation is I'm going to put this thing in the world and no one's going to read it or no one's going to buy it right? That's the fear. Yeah. That's the fear, right? But the boldness of action to actually do it and put it out there, I agree with you, attracts that Mm -hmm. energy of people that want to be around you because they know it's hard. Like writing a book is not easy. No. And the fact that you've written one in most people's minds is like, oh, well, you committed, you have an idea, especially if it's decently well-written. You have a great coach like Brooke who made mine just sparkle, like just beautifully. And and even my, you know, my friend Leslie who helped and um, on that as well. And I used the story grid method and also help, you know, like Shelly. I mean, all these people were just awesome. Like, oh, wow. Like it just, the artist, when, when you put your art out there, it's, you know, you get a little nervous, but then you find good people. They make the art better, just full stop. So I love that. I love that. Like put it out there and then you'll, you'll yeah. attract the, the energy. Yeah, so then once you have the book, you have something solid or some other invention you make. Um, then I, then that was used to get these speeches that I talked about. So, you know, it was, it was, um, it was a dream. Some of these, because you just spoke for maybe an hour, hour and a half. And one of them, it was in Nashville, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. They asked me to come. Uh, you know, they paid my flight, my hotel, my meals. They shipped my books. They gave me a table to sell my books. Um, they videotaped it. And uh, they paid me five grand. And uh, that even <laughs> is not even, wow. um, you you know, it could have been 10. You know, it, that's, yeah. that was like a middling. Uh, for me, it was, it was uh, higher than I had gotten. And also the whole circumstances was so wonderful, touching audiences and yeah. getting feedback. And, and it was it was a beautiful thing. So that's why I really recommend the speaking part. And it mm. led me to uh, China. Uh, I was asked to go to China to speak at a teacher's college for a whole week to give lectures to the Chinese, which are not known for their creativity because they're known you know, to be following and be obedient and not not to have uh, you know wild ideas that they just go off and act on, so but they wanted the Chinese at that point that was two thousand and nine wanted more. They're saying you know no we're not making up creative things you know we're losing in the battle yeah. uh, marketing because we're not we're not creative enough. So that was a fascinating adventure. Wow, wow! Five grand for a speech. 
Yeah, you could get more than that, I bet, because if I didn't speak on business so much. If you speak on business, you know, you get paid more. Money, money is uh, what people want to know about. So. <laughs> well, I mean, it's true. I mean, it's it is true. Yeah. I mean, that's uh-huh. that's one of some of the biggest categories in books, love stories. Yeah. And business books because everyone wants yeah. the edge, right? Everyone right. So yeah, edge. we could talk more about it, you know. Self-improvement. I, oh yeah. yeah. I think you'd be great at that. You are you oh. are. You oh, are. thank you. Well, appreciate you that. Are. No, I mean I, I use this show to practice. I mean, I think that's one of the other things that I really love about writing and um promoting your art is that it's the practice of doing it that makes you better. So um Anytime that you, you you can practice your art, you're going to get better. Yeah. Um, and if you're open to feedback and you, and again, it's hard because especially like my writing, you know, I put my books out or whatever. It's, it's way more personal than a product, mm-hmm. you know, like I've built so many different products that have failed. It's like, whatever. But when it's your like book, yeah, that you're like, and people like, you love. Yeah. And it's deep in your heart and you just feel like, oh, this is so uncomfortable. What are people going to think, you know? Right. Um, right. But the thing, the thing that's so interesting about that is the, the writing process, which again, I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't really fully appreciate is the writing process clarifies your thought process. Mm-hmm. So if you're a clear writer, by definition, you're a clear thinker. Mm. And a lot of times entrepreneurs just don't see that connection. Right. And that is the one thing that has been like, for me, I mean, it's my superpower. Like I love nothing more than writing and my writing clarifies my thought process and my thought process is what, okay, now we know what to do. Um, that's the one thing I wish more entrepreneurs knew. And, and also for authors, you know, on the, on the business side, a lot of times they get really scared. You know, I mean, you just yeah. talk to some of the, the authors that Brooke knows, or they just, you know, casual conversation. It's the one thing that's the hardest thing to do is promote yourself. And I'm fascinated by this speakers bureau or this, you know, national speakers association. So how hard was it to like speak, be a speaker? I mean, that's, that's a putting yourself out there pretty, pretty hardcore. Well, you just, I, I think the main thing is that you care about the audience. They pick that up and you are like that. You are very warm and generous with that's what I pick up from. Thank you. You, you, you want to help us. Uh, And that's what they, if they sense that and you're not up there performing and saying, look how great I am, you know, uh, but if you're really saying I'm here to help you with something, uh, then I think you'd be, you'd be a master at it, but there are, you know, you could try things like us. uh, speaker net news and speaker hub there are a few different places you can go and they have local chapters of the national speakers association and it's it is quite focused on business mm-hmm. which is why i didn't after a while wasn't fitting for me because i'm more interested in the arts but if you, that's your thing i think you'd do very well there and um yeah the promo part is hard for the books because it's personally trying to sell yourself in a way but but i enjoyed it because of the way uh the publicists laid it out they got me interviews in magazines so it was writing more writing about the story why i wrote it about the issues in the book um and a lot of it was about democracy and uh, racial justice which i still work on so i started at an early age with that so i was glad to have this exposure and uh, my husband really doesn't like business at all he's a teacher and he's always puts business uh i said well i wrote the damn book i wanted to be out there <laughs> You know, I don't want to just sit in my drawer. I don't want to have this stack full of books in the garage that I can't sell. Right. Yeah. I want I want to promote it so people can read it. And I, I think they can relate, which I'm very happy. That's the rewarding part. People are giving me a lot of feedback that they're relating to parts of it, that they're questioning other things. Uh, they're, you know, un- understanding more of the era we lived in. It was the 60s, which was a pretty crazy era. So they're saying, oh, yeah, I remember. Well, I, I mean, there's a lot yeah, of parallels to now, right? A lot of parallels to now. So I thought in one way it was timely, you know, quite, quite timely uh, with the protests and other things. And so uh, I have friends in Europe now because we live there. And so I have people reading the book in, in uh, Britain, in uh, Switzerland, in Germany, 
<laughs> so in France. So it's kind of fun. And they, one of them from Germany said, oh, yes, Janet, uh, we all thought then that we would change the world. You know, and, and she's relating, oh, yes, it's hard. We're trying to grow up. And at the same time, we have family conflicts. And, you know, so she was she was relating very well to the book. And that is such a joy to me when people, you know, talk about what it means to them and what they might have learned about themselves through reading it. Yeah. I mean, the ultimate for an entrepreneur is the same feeling for their product or service. Mm-hmm. You know, like that, as you mentioned, you're up, you're up speaking and you're about the audience or the customer and you're really trying to be of service and, and, and right. not like it's, it's a, there's a transaction, but the transaction is an afterthought. And it's like really being of service just seems like such a powerful thing. And the, the, the brands and the kind of companies that tend to have that more of a service attitude really grow a groundswell of support. Um, and I think the same thing is true for an author or speaker, like any movement seems to have to have, uh, someone that can like articulate yeah. the ethos of it or the, what it is about. And it's so fascinating. You bring up the sixties because a lot of our times now, I mean, you mentioned Jan- this January 6th, when we're recording this, there was, you know, the insurrection that happened last year. Um, the repercussions of that are, I think well, I'm not sure exactly the entire repercussions of it yet, but similar to the to the 60s where we're all trying to kind of figure it out. And there's a lot of turmoil and a lot of struggle and a lot of class warfare. I mean, it's just yeah. a lot of parallels. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not the same. It seems to like history rhymes a bit. So yeah, yeah a little bit different, but what, what what's your take on that? I mean, what 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 from your book and from your experience, what are some of the parallels and what are some of the differences between then and now? Because I think as you know, people living in an age, especially creatives and entrepreneurs, we have to have, we have to take that into account. Take into account the, 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 the conditions that we're in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I think you're right. I think there's something underneath. I, I do think it's sad, but I do think racism is at the bottom of a lot of it. And we haven't come to a grapple with that fully. Um, and it's a matter of, facing the truth of what our history is. A lot of it is just glorious because no matter, um, I was listening to our president today, um, uh, the speech he gave about this uh, anniversary of January 6th insurrection. And he was saying that uh, we need to remember because we need to know our history. uh, Otherwise we we can't change or move forward. We have to face our history, whatever it is. And he said, he said, our founding fathers, no matter how imperfect, and, and they were, they some of them owned slaves, and it wasn't perfect, just like Greece, the seat of democracy, the, was not perfect. They had slaves too. Um, so he said, however imperfect, they brought to the world something new. Now, this is an entrepreneurial thing. They put into the world something totally new and uh, changed the world. And, you know, so I have a passion for democracy. That's why I work for I just love it that everybody has a voice and is justice and, and fairness. And so, you know, it really brought me to tears what he was saying. Um, so I think that we have to face uh, the problems. And he, he was saying that um, we have an undercurrent, you know, division. And um, it, we can't really solve that through yelling and, at each other or through violence. It comes from self-reflection and realizing that we're not perfect. No one's perfect. The country isn't perfect. The founding fathers aren't perfect. Our parents were perfect. Nobody is perfect. And so if we could look at what, what we might want to improve and not to blame, not to blame and judge, but to understand and to grow. And that's the important thing is to be curious. Yeah. Yeah. I think you need to see the humanity in everyone. Yeah. 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 No matter whether you agree or disagree with them, right? I think that's a powerful thing that that we don't have now, and it's it's a shame because yeah, yeah it's not about like you're never gonna win the peace by being negative and blaming people, and right. that doesn't mean you don't acknowledge the past. It doesn't mean you don't like stand up and say, okay, there's some things that are wrong, but this division that we have now is just, it's the reason why the insurrection happened, honestly. I mean, you could see it. It's like, 
you got a bunch of disenfranchised folks, they get riled up and someone, you know, not too kind actor with uh, their own interest at heart Mm -hmm. stoked it on. And Mm -hmm. this is what you get. So it's a, it's, it's, it's definitely a dark, dark spot in the history, but I think also not uncommon for democracies and freedom to have this uh, challenge. Yeah. So, you know, he, uh, uh, yeah, if we can face the darkness and out of darkness, often the best things happen, which, which uh, we don't like to hear when we're going through the darkness, but when we look back, we can see that, yeah, things, you know, it did change, you know, night becomes day. And, uh, you know, so that's, that's useful. Yeah. Yeah. My my father, getting back to that, people are very interested that my father was a policeman in New York, NYPD, New York City. He actually was called to duty in one of the riots in Harlem in 1964. But he he was a liberal thinker. He was an intellectual, loved history and current events. And from early childhood, I was learning or from childhood, I was learning, you know, about what events in the world, around the globe. And uh, he was up on the uh, civil rights movement. And he admitted that a lot of the police he was uh, worked with uh, were, were what he said, prejudiced. And he said, prejudice is not the right thing because it's prejudging. And that then you're not looking at the person for who they are. So he he's, he said it's wrong. He said his parents were prejudiced, and he he said he was poisoned by their prejudice because that's what they taught him. He said, but I see it's wrong because he saw in the ghettos he worked in that uh, the schools were dilapidated, that there was no jobs. He knew he yeah. knew that there was job discrimination and housing discrimination. I mean that was so clear. People deny that, that they say that they could do better if they they worked hard, but they were blocked. So he saw that and and he saw the children suffering. So he he thought that Martin Luther King was on the right track, uh, that they deserve voting rights and decency and um, equality. So he he said, I'm not going to poison my girls with the same prejudices. And I thought that was heroic. And that's exactly what we want to do now. White people, you know, need to say, you know, this is what we have done or the white people in the past have done. I haven't done it. I I shouldn't feel guilty about it, but we have to face it and say, what can I do better to be more fair and open um, to people, all the people, liberty, justice and liberty for all is what we say. So, yeah, well, I mean, that's why I'm doing this show. I want to I do want to create a more ethical, inclusive and resilient world by Mm -hmm. I think it's entrepreneurship that does that. Mm-hmm. I don't really think you can rely on government so much other than government needs to provide the, the rules and the kind of the level playing field, so to yeah. speak. I mean, yeah. that's when government functions the best is when it's like, these are the rules. And if you have a problem, come see us. If not, you know, let's sure. just go off and, and prosper. I mean, that's the only way it's ever worked. And you see this time and time again throughout history, which is why I'm such a big proponent of making entrepreneurship sort of more of a universal life skill. And I have worked in very poor areas of the country with some of the clients that I work with t- teaching wow. inner city kids, you know, entrepreneurship and oh, what your dad saw in Harlem is the exact same thing I yeah. see all over. And the whole premise of pulling someone up by their bootstraps assumes they have bootstraps, right? Exactly. And if you don't, that's a hard thing to do. And the thing that's interesting about that, and and, and it's, it's usually from a point of ignorance of the situation people are in. Um, and it doesn't, doesn't take much exposure to that to really understand that Yes, there. You may disagree on systematic racism, and you know all these sort of things that are like these buzzwords that people get all bent out. Especially depending on what side of the spectrum you're on or what side of the aisle you're on. But when you go actually go talk to kids, and you go in these neighborhoods, and you see the dilapidated school, you yeah. see no opportunity, you see the border. I mean, it it's a yeah. it's a really hard thing for them to not go down in the groove of the path of ever of who came before them because it's the only thing they know. Yeah. And what I always try to do and what this show tries to do and what the, what I wrote the book and really I think is important is there's a lot of movement to make entrepreneurship sort of this sort of right to do it. And it sounds a little silly, like the right to, 
start your own business. But really the fundamental premise is equal outcomes will never happen because there's different levels of things. Like you just can't, but you have to have this equal opportunity. So the opportunities have to be there and you have to create systems that are as fair as you can make them and then adjust as you go along. And that's the reason why I'm a big fan of frameworks and process and like, no, it's not about the outcome. It's about level making sure that the rules of the game are fair for everyone. And that that's, that's, Maybe controversial, but oh, seems seems to I, be the way it I should work. Well, because I mean, honest, I mean, I I live in San Francisco, right? So, oh, okay. Me saying stuff like that is like, well, you're just some blah, you know, because here here the politics are a little bit different because really things are more ideological. It's it's more based on the the outcome, the goal as opposed to the process to get to the outcome. Because we all know from being an entrepreneur, an author, whatever, it, the only thing you control is the effort you put into something. The results, it's hard to guarantee that you're going to be a best-selling author, have a successful company. It's, you can't because there's too many variables. The only thing that you have any control over is the effort you put into it. And what we have to assume and what we have to really strive hard for is that if you put the effort in, that the opportunity for you is equal for everyone. Yeah. Hard to do. There's systematic problems. I understand that. And like uh, idealistic, but building the processes and structure and having the conversation, as you mentioned, learning from the past, understanding what, what happened and really trying to truly be compassionate and see the humanity in every person. Yeah, is the only way to solve these things. I mean, there's no, I mean, you can look throughout history. (laughs) History is littered with people trying to like, look at the Soviets, look at, you know, like, look at China before the great fleet four. I mean, there's all these things that you just can't, the outcome is harder to predict. You need to make the opportunity equal. Yeah, making the opportunity equal, right? Like the GI Bill, we we often think it was everybody could have gotten that, but it turns out that uh, my father took advantage of it. He was a World War II vet, and he was able to get a mortgage and and, yeah. and wealth. But most people don't realize that banks, even the the government, was outlining black neighborhoods and saying yeah. they could not guarantee mortgages in black yep. neighborhoods, so the yep. black GIs could not use it, yeah. and yeah. they could not build wealth. Yeah. So, yeah. No, yeah. So we have to realize, though, there was that was real, and they have, you know, we have to yeah. fix that. Here in San Francisco, redevelopment, huge problem. Yeah. Like, they basically destroyed black neighborhoods in the Fillmore, like West Harlem, like you know the, the Harlem of the West, right? Oh my! Destroyed, like neighborhoods, put up projects, and then said, "Oh, here's a voucher for when we'll re," you know, and didn't do that, and it didn't happen. Like there's still, I mean, to this day, the repercussions of that are gigantic. And it was, again, it was this mm-hmm. prejudice, racism, you know, in their best interest, quote unquote. And it wasn't. And it was, we have to admit that. And we have to say that was bad. And we have to like, okay, how will we, and as best we can rectify that. Right. But, you know, dwelling on like the sins of that and then saying that it's like our fault or whatever, this is not productive because you don't have to convince you have to can the minority. the minority opinion always has to convince the majority opinion that their you know, issues are real. Mm -hmm. And the only way you do that is everyone on both sides has to see the compassion and the humanity in each person. Mm -hmm. Once you do that, then you can resolve these things. And it's never perfect, but boy, you know, especially, you know, today on January 6th, where that insurrection really was that gone wrong, <laughs> just no, really, like really, really. run out of control. They, right? they felt disenfranchised. I don't think they were, but they felt that they were. Oh, yeah. Well, well, it doesn't matter what, what's right. reality, right? It's like, exactly. it pro exactly. it, it you know, pushed them to yes. to do something that they felt was the right thing, yeah. even though that's uh, not probably not the right way to do it, obviously. Right. But, you know, we have, to, we have to, we really have to think long and hard about that. So, wow. I mean, 
Janet, this has just been, we've gone all over the place. I mean, a little bit of entrepreneurship, a little bit of Christmas. <laughs> but I did have some ideas about the entrepreneurs uh, for the sure. ones, young ones coming up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that process of, of knowing what you want, I think, is number one. Knowing what you want and being able to clearly see it and knowing why you want it is, you know, and to think, um, is this thing that I want and that I want to do as an entrepreneur? Is it something only I can do? Mm. You know, is it unique mm. to me? And, and do I have the skills to do this? And am I unique in being able to do this? I also, because I'm an idealist, feel that it should have some good in the world. Um, and then I, I think that that makes it, I think that enhances it. And as you use the word energy, it brings energy to yeah, it. Yeah, it does. Um, it does. And I, I think that, um, that you need to think about what you need to have a draft plan. I believe in being able to change the plan as things change, um, but to have a draft plan and to imagine what the obstacles might be and uh, how, you know, to get some idea how you might handle the obstacles and such as money, having enough money or not uh, allies. I think, uh, do you have allies? Can you find allies, partners, supporters, investors, and then, um, then, um, excuse me, as, as you as you go through things, as things might not turn out the way you thought in some areas as you're moving along to assess, to not, uh, you know, be stressed or angry, it's not turning out, but to say, what am I supposed to learn or how, how should I readjust? Um, similar how to, we're talking about our nation doing that. Yeah. <laughs> Adjusting and, and learning and to enjoy the journey. And also to enjoy any any wealth or success you might have too. That's all. That's all good. You know, uh, I, I I would love to have a lot more money, partly for myself, but I would like to be able to donate and give more, be more philanthropic. But so whatever, that's me. But whatever you feel, you know, enjoy the journey, enjoy the results, enjoy imagining it, enjoy the process of building it, enjoying the friends you meet and the partners you find, and and in taking in the the hard lessons too what didn't work and what did you learn from that about life about yourself so it's, it's a wonderful thing i think america is very unique that way the way we do have a we're known for our spirit of creativity and i love that about america yeah i mean that's our, that's our biggest strength yeah it's the great experiment it's our adventure it's our you know we're the yahoo american wild west maverick types right got its pluses and minuses <laughs> for <Right>. sure <laughs> for sure well janet it's been great a conversation i just i'm so happy that we got to do it you know i loved um talking with the group uh brooks group and meeting you and just just you know i love authors and i think more people should write and i'm so glad that you're uh sharing your wisdom with the world so thanks thanks again and good luck with your vigil tonight good 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 luck with your book and i'll get a copy of it Thank you so much, Janet, for being on the show. Now, as promised, here are some actionable insights that I learned from my interview with Janet. While Janet doesn't fit the conventional stereotype of an entrepreneur, that's for sure, she exhibits many of the qualities necessary for entrepreneurial and creative success. She gets a clear idea of what she wants and takes action towards it, trusting that everything else will fall into place while accepting and learning from any failures along the way. Now, I always say that entrepreneurs are the creatives of the business world. 100% agree with that because just like an artist and another creative, we create something from nothing, right? So artists and entrepreneurs are kindred spirits. Um, I always say that entrepreneurs just now understand more so than any other artist that we got to sell our stuff, right? So we can learn a lot from each other. And I think the questions you should ask yourself you know, as you're going through this, like, what's the idea I want to do? What's my big idea? How am I going to move forward in the world? I mean, things are going to happen. I'm going to zig and zag. How can I handle that stress and strain, right? And again, you know, it's the journey. The creative journey is one of ups and downs, but uh, we can learn a lot from our artists in solidarity with all our artist uh, brethren, right? Janet suggests aspiring entrepreneurs ask why. Why do I want to do this? Why am I the person to do this? And also, Will it help the world? So 
I know a lot of times it's like, well, does my business need to like, you know, solve everything in the world or be some sort of, you know, have some sort of like movement outside of it. And I, I generally agree you have to, uh, you may not start out that way, but the whole idea of business is to make the world a better place. Yeah, of course you're going to make money along the way, but generally you want to improve your community around you. That's the reason why communities and governments and, you know, basically the rest of the world gives us entrepreneurs a lot of leeway. So you got to really think of what good are you going to be doing, right? That's important. Learn from the lessons, but also enjoy the journey. Enjoy the successes, the people you meet, and the experiences you have. <laughs> yeah, sometimes, you know, you can just get caught up in the morass of it all. And I think even though it's a cliche to enjoy the journey, I mean, this is one of those jobs being an entrepreneur. I mean, it's a long-term gig, like there's successes and failures and a lot more failures and successes, right? So I think you really got to enjoy what you're doing, just like I think a lot of artists do. But again, you know, ask yourself, why am I doing this? That's a really good question. I talk about that all the time. So think about that. Well, there you have it. The actionable insights I learned from my awesome interview with Janet. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur, and frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA, and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better. Headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com